0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. When we talk about optimism, we so rarely bring up topics such as grief and struggle, but I would argue that one of the most profound ways to understand and increase our optimism and sense of hope is to spotlight resiliency and lean into the not so great feeling emotions in order to really work through them. Today's episode is full of hope and happiness, all while we are actually discussing loss, rock bottoms, and grief and the rituals that help us move forward without avoiding pain, but more so meeting it head on. To really understand how to cultivate the tools to increase happiness in our everyday lives, grief, believe it or not, is actually a pretty good place to start. Recent research out of Harvard found that some mourners are more emotionally resilient than others, and those who overcame their grief more quickly all had one very important thing in common, rituals. Following their respective loss, each of the emotionally resilient mourners had performed what the researchers referred to as personal rituals. So many of us think of mourning rituals as public or cultural, kind of like sitting shiva or collectively crying while at a funeral. What was surprising is that most of the rituals reported within the study were actually more private and very unique to each person rather than these more commonplace cultural ones. These rituals range from someone who was experiencing grief after a breakup. He described returning alone to the location of the breakup each month to help cope with his loss. Or another person shared that immediately after her breakup, she gathered all of the pictures that her and her ex-boyfriend took as a couple and cut them up into small pieces. Another woman shared that after her husband died, she still washes her husband's car each week just as he had done when he was alive. Yeah, these private rituals are pretty sad and wouldn't performing them just make these people more sad, but that is not what was actually happening. According to the study, the researchers found that people who perform a ritual, whether just once, after a loss, or a more ongoing type of ritual, that connected these rituals to the memory of their lost loves in a deep and meaningful way, actually made them less sad, and they experienced markedly less grief than those who didn't. Part of this is about control helping people to feel a sense of power in a powerless situation. I remember reading The Year of Magical Thinking some years back. And right after Joan Didion's husband suddenly died, she said, everything's going along as usual, and then all shit breaks loose. Nature doesn't really provide us with much in terms of grief, but our rituals do. And when Joan Didion returned back home after her husband was pronounced dead, the first thing she did was sort through her husband's pant pockets in his closet. She began to collect the cash, and she started to smooth the bills, placing the 20s with the other 20s, the 10s with the other 10s, and the 5s and 1s with the other 5s and 1s. And she said that she did this because she thought he would see that she was handling things. To her, this was symbolic, a grief ritual, and something that helped her feel more in control. This episode of Looking Up is called The Wolf Shall Howl Still. These are my guest Lulu Brudd's words, and they so perfectly describe her journey. I can't wait for you to be inspired by Lulu's ability to find the light in the darkest of places by cultivating rituals and truly leaning into her grief, by accepting the duality of experiencing joy and sadness at the same exact time, by giving to others, and the power in not just pretending that everything is always okay.
1: I'm Lulu Brudd. I'm an actress and interior designer and content creator and bodily reproductive advocate. To me, optimism feels like finding the light in the darkness and how you use those little points of light to sort of radiate out. Like, where can you start? What do you have to hook into? Do you consider yourself an optimist? I think so. For the most part, I definitely have work to do around it. You know, there's like always the voices of fear that creep up and the humanness about it, but I think it's a muscle, right? You have to kind of train yourself.
0: So, this podcast is called Looking Up, but to kick things off, we are going to be looking in. So, I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire style questions so that we can get to know you a little more intimately because intimacy is actually a huge part of optimism and resiliency. So just answer honestly without much judgment or pressure with the first thing that comes to mind. All right, let's look in. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank.
1: Oh God. People think that I am super positive, but I'm actually super complex emotions. I have like really deep wells. Up. You feel a lot. I feel a lot of things.
0: Describe yourself as a teenager in three words.
1: Bad Meg Ryan haircut. That was a lot of words. Short hair. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Embarrassingly short hair, emotional, and funky dresser. I Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. My senior superlatives were most creative and most unique because people didn't know what to do with me. I basically went to New York and then came back to my small town and was like, I wear dresses over pants now. Deal with it. And also I'm going to cut my hair. It was it a lot.
0: <laughs> I'll have to see a picture. I love no. it. No. <laughs> when is the last time you cried?
1: Oh, today. Yeah. Just listening to all the footage of George Floyd, I've been like a weeby mess all day.
0: Same, by the way. Yeah. I think this literally would make anyone scream, howl, cry, want to do all the things. Yeah. Okay, three things that make you happy right now. No judgment. Don't think about it too long. Three things that make you happy.
1: Oh, my new favorite shampoo. When I actually get to take a shower. Sleeping in to six o'clock because we get up with the sun out here. So if we make it to six, I'm like, oh, who am I? And dinner with my husband and my son. That's my favorite.
0: We often think that to be an optimist, it means that we have to be positive all the time. And a lot of what we're trying to do here on this podcast is also kind of break down those barriers and really. Sort of strip down this idea of toxic positivity and really like help people understand that truly you can't really talk about the idea of optimism without this idea of resiliency. And in order to be resilient, it means that we work through struggle.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, in August of 2018, I was seven months pregnant and I lost my daughter. She lost her heartbeat and it was completely leveling. You know, I had so much shame. I felt that I carry about, was it something that I did? Was it something that I could have done better? And that was definitely, I would say, a rock bottom for me. It was sort of this moment where I felt like I had two options because when you're pregnant, you know, your body's out there for the world to see. You've shared it potentially on social media. And I felt like I, you know, you either disappear. <laughs> I'm either going to not talk about it ever again and just kind of disappear. And people will just wonder where I went one day or I can greet it head on and and talk about what's what's happened.
0: And you chose the second. Yeah, I did. I can't even imagine, you know, any loss is so tough. And then a loss at seven months when so many of us feel like we're given this sense of once you've made it past, you know, this time, whether it's first trimester or whatever it is, it's seven months, you feel, you know, set in the idea that this is really happening. How did you get through that? Are there any like rituals that you turn to or tools that you kind of you and your husband had and that you use during this time to really work through or continue to work through the grief? Because I'm sure it's an ongoing process
1: that's been the crazy thing about this is that it is, even though I have my now nearly eight month old son here on earth, there are still moments where I look at him and I'm just like completely leveled because, you know, in my head, he was born a year later and a month before my daughter was due. So I look at him and I'm constantly like, she would be a year older than you. She would be this big now. Like there's just these little markers where I'm like, who would she be? What words would she say? And those things still bubble up. And I don't think it's ever going to go away. That's what I've learned, at least through my own grief and through talking openly through other women who've processed this kind of grief, is that it really it changes and it mutates, but it doesn't go away. I think, you know, that, yeah, 2018 was a really brutal year. We lost our dog, who was 11, in May of the same year. And it was literally like four days after we announced our pregnancy on Instagram. So like four days later we lost my dog who was like my trooper through my twenties. And like, I was so excited for her to meet our daughter and like grow up together. And so I just remember this one night after we lost our daughter laying in bed and just like, I couldn't like keep crying because I felt like everything was gone. And You know, the crazy thing is, and I don't know what this. I want to maybe look into it, but we think that something came up with our daughter's kidney, and my dog died of kidney failure. Like it's just so bizarre how connected I feel like they somehow were. As far as rituals go, my baby shower quickly became—I don't want to say a like a funeral, but it was definitely like a memorial for my daughter. And we had a bunch of friends come together just to have space to grieve with my daughter. It was planned and it was this moment of like, did we cancel? Like, I I don't know, but we held the date and it became just a release party for me. Not party, but, you know, an honoring of her life, however short. And we also, and this is kind of something that we did and I called it our due date escape. And it's something that I try to recommend people do if they're able to. Not that we can travel right now, but we went to Hawaii when our daughter was supposed to be born because like the thought of being home was like, I can't be here right now. I have to get out of here. And it gave us just a beautiful time to be together and to reflect and to look forward? And how do we move forward from this? You know, because all you want when you lose a child is to get pregnant again. And then you get pregnant again. And then you're like, I'm terrified. (laughs) I have to go through this all again. What if it goes the same way? So our memorial, our due date escape, and we really kept open lines of communication with each other and allowing of whatever came up. And because our friends were so supportive of us, it gave us space to really process our grief. Like it allowed us to not have to go back to work immediately. And, you know, they packaged up our nursery. So we didn't have to do that. Even though I don't really think I went really in that room, even still until it was Wilder's nursery. I don't know if I answered your question.
0: No, you absolutely did. I love that idea that you guys came up with something that was special and healing to you, the due date escape. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that you guys planned for something and planned for an escape and somewhere that you guys could process it together away and maybe even have something to look forward to Mm -hmm. and talk about future plans. Mm -hmm. I know it's tough. Oftentimes there's not enough sort of space from it, but are there some ways now in looking through the whole process that you feel like you've grown from it or the two of you have grown from it. Is there growth?
1: And there's so much growth. And and you know it's a roller coaster, right? It goes up and down. But I feel like right now we're definitely in an up space together. I think it's very challenging for men. And I talked to my husband about this a lot. You know, as women, we are the ones carrying the child. And not just men, but partners, any partner who is not the one that's carrying the child, right? That immediately puts someone step back from the process. And they quickly rush to caretake after when your body is going through such a loss and a hormone dip and like all the crazy things that come after it, that they're in such caretaker mode. And I think putting on the brave face that a lot of their emotions and their grief kind of gets put on the back burner. It's a lot. That's why I think it either makes you or it can break you because other people need space to grieve too. So I think we carved out a lot of space for each other to have our moments of grief. And we don't take it personally when one is having a down day and one is not. It doesn't happen all the time. When you're in it, anytime you're in any sort of grief, it doesn't feel like there's an end to it. But what I have written to several women is that I promise you there will be joy again. There will be, it may look different than you think. I remember like laughing so hard one night and being like, okay, it can come back. Like we will find joy. We will find our way back from this.
0: That's really beautiful. Grief is something that I think it feels like a brick and it's so heavy. And sometimes You carry it really well, but it doesn't mean that you're not still carrying it. And other times you can tell that you're not carrying it that well and it's so heavy and it's so evident and you're not even sure you can walk anymore with it. And so I think that like roller coaster of it and also like back to that idea that we really can experience this duality of emotions. You can experience joy and still be grieving for something or someone at the same exact time. And one doesn't necessarily negate the other. And I think that's so hard with grief. Oftentimes people feel guilty to feel joy because they sort of feel like, well, if I'm experiencing joy, am I not putting value in this huge loss I've had? But I think it's so important that you are recognizing that. And especially with having Wilder now too and enjoying all the sweet moments with your son, but at the same time, not, you know, still allowing yourself space to go through what you go through and have those moments where you do think about your daughter and that mm-hmm. it can be from a place of both and from joy. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere, and I don't know, I, I read somewhere that you when you're pregnant and you have, you know, a child within you, some of that DNA stays and it goes to your future children. So like there's part, did you have you read that before? And there was like part of your daughter's DNA in your son. It's so beautiful that she's in there It too. is very it's comforting. Cool. Yeah, it totally yeah. is. Any of those sort of moments of reflection and sort of like growth from these really hard moments, that's how we build optimism. And that's how we build resiliency. And that's actually how we build joy. And so I think that to think that we would be living in a world where we have to shy away from those hard talks and the hard emotions is, A, it's inhumane. It's just not possible, Mm -hmm. but it's also robbing us of our growth. And so I just like, I really respect all of the things that you are talking about. And I just think it's amazing how transparent and open you are because really in the end of the day, there's so many people that are going through similar situations and feel completely alone because you know, even when I was pregnant, I had a pretty awful pregnancy and was really ill. And I just like, if I was just scrolling on social media, I'm just gonna, all I saw were people having the most amazing pregnancies, you know, glowing and um, just barefoot in a bohemian dress running through a field of poppies. And my head was just stuck in a toilet 35 times a day. And I, yeah. And I just like, unless I shared it, Openly and transparently, I wasn't going to find anyone else that was going through the same experience that made me feel less alone, but also maybe giving them a chance to feel less alone too.
1: I mean, I think there is true power in not pretending that everything is fine all the time. The minute that I kind of went public with it, it was like this veil kind of like came off. I was connected with so many other women who had experienced such late term losses, early losses, like losses across the board. And I felt like I had this incredible team of guides that were ushering me through this process. And so I felt and still feel a bit of responsibility to do that for other women because it helped me to feel so much less alone. And I think that's really all we want as humans is to feel like our experience is not isolated. That makes so much sense. What would you say
0: your relationship with mental health is?
1: It's a process. It's, it's, I'm fortunate in that I don't feel like I suffer from depression in a clinical sense, it, but it is a very real thing. But, you know, we, my husband and I do have a therapist. We haven't been since Walter's been born, which we probably should go back. But like a month before he was born, I was just like, I can't have any more appointments right now. It's just too much. So we're still trying to find our way back to our therapist. And you know, sometimes I feel like, like even with my parents, and they're totally fine with it now. But when I was like, we have a couples therapist, they're like, Oh, are you still seeing your therapist? Like you haven't worked out your your stuff? And I'm like, This is like a lifelong thing. Like you go to a doctor. It means we are working <laughs> through our stuff. We are. Yeah. And we're together because we are doing these, this work. We are challenging ourselves to elevate our forms of communication and to acknowledge when we're not doing okay individually and together um, and to continue to show up for that kind of work.
0: Do you have any practical go-to tools that you use when you are experiencing, like when you said that you were pregnant with Wilder and you were Obviously, and naturally terrified or experiencing anxiety, are there any like very go to tools that you use to help yourself?
1: I'm kind of an active meditator. I find that I drop in most for myself when I'm out in nature of some kind. So, I found in my pregnancy, we also got a new puppy in December of 2019. So, a lot of my lead up to Wilder in early pregnancy was walks with her in the neighborhood and up into Griffith Park and just quiet time with her. And for me, like that walking, it releases my anxiety. It helps to release my stress. I talk to myself sometimes on walks. I listen to my podcast. I listen to just my calming music. And a lot of times I don't listen to anything. I just like the silence. That for me, I find to be like my most tangible tool of meditation is just to get out into nature and to sort of ground that way.
0: Yeah. And so much research shows how important that is. The latest research really shows that spending just on average two hours a week outdoors really helps to decrease stress cortisol levels and increase positive mood. And I know for myself, as I've been experiencing this isolative period and and staying more at home, I've just been craving nature and just being just getting out for 10 minutes just like completely changes up my entire mood and makes me feel like I can deal with half the stuff that I felt before I left the house I couldn't deal with. So it's such a powerful force. And- is amazing that you're in the middle of nature right now, which I want to talk about some of the things that really (laughs) turn you on and drive you to wake up every morning and your passions and sort of your callings. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Like what makes you tick in a good way?
1: (laughs) Girl, so many things. (laughs) Like you spoke to, we're right now, we're in our little quarantine bubble out here in Joshua tree. It's always been a special place to my husband and I. It's kind of where we, we didn't meet here, but we had friends that thought that we were dating. So they sent us out on a weekend together (laughs) and we were like, "Uh, we're not, okay, we'll go out to the desert together. And joke's on us. We came home on Monday and basically we've been together ever since then. I think he basically moved into my house that Monday. (laughs) So we found a piece of property with a little homesteader's cabin on it and we've been renovating it with my parents. So it's been a big family project, which has been such a gift. It's finally almost as if we planned it. Done. It was done. My parents came out middle of March when everything sort of shut down and they planned to stay for two weeks. We were gonna get the finishing touches on the cabin. And they stayed for two months. We found a long-term rental, (laughs) like it which everything went crazy. But now we're here with just Justin and Wilder and myself and Moon Pie. And I'm really like every day I just wake up grateful that we have this place right now before it gets opened up for rental because if we were in our two bedroom apartment with a big dog and a baby with no outdoor space and parks closed, I don't know how we would be doing. (laughs) So we may be in a one room cabin, but you've got the whole desert. But we looked out and we're like, I'll just go walk that way. It's fine. I love that. Tell me about acting.
0: You went to college for it, right? You're from, you went to North Carolina UNC. I did.
1: I went to Chapel Hill for a year. I was a theater major. It's so funny when I think back, because I was 19 and I came out to stay with my friend for the summer who lived out here. And I was like, I think it was in late July. I remember being like, I am not going back to college. And I just felt like the biggest hurdle was how do I, tell my parents that I'm packing up my life and I'm moving out here and I remember calling my dad and crying because I felt like I was disappointing them like they're all you know college was always a part of our education plan like that's you then you go to college and then you get a job so I just remember crying and being afraid of how he was going to react and my dad was so calm he was like, "Honey." I knew when when you, it makes me tear up now because I think back to like my little self and like my dad, he's like, I knew when we put you on a plane to go out there, you were never coming home. It's like he really saw you. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that within the next 15 years, there weren't moments of like, what are you doing? Do you want to come home and go back to school? But they've always been so supportive of the plan, whatever that was. yeah, I just had a gut instinct that this is where I needed to be. And not that school is a waste of time. It's absolutely not. But for me, I felt like I could spend three more years here or I could get a jump start on my table waiting, <laughs> trying to find representation and build my resume now. Um, and I did. And that's been 15 years in September, which is really crazy. You know, it took about 10 years to feel like I felt any real momentum. And that, I mean, before my real life rock bottom, I definitely had moments within that of like, what am I doing? Why do I keep showing up for this disappointment day after day after day?
0: Why do you think you kept showing up?
1: I think I'm really stubborn. (laughs) And I think, you know, I think most actors will tell you, you when you get on set and you get to do the actual work, and the auditions are very much a part of the work, they're my least favorite part of the work because it's just so disappointing a lot of times. But when you do actually book and you get on set and you get to do your job, which is what you love to do, it's all worth it. It all kind of falls away, and you forget how frustrating the process can be. But I think you know, I think that's why I've kept see doing so many different things because I don't do well when I have too much space to think about idle time. Yeah. I don't, I don't do well with it. So I've always got projects. I've always got things going on. Um, And now I have a kid on top of it, which is a full-time job in and of itself. You know that.
0: Yes, absolutely. You created a lifestyle blog called of the wolves. Yes. And you are Lady Lou of the wolves. And I know there is this spirit animal in you or (gasps) something that keeps driving you with this this idea of a wolf. And I would just like love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: So when I was about 25, a guy that I was seeing shall remain nameless. We'll just call him Wolfman. I think came into my life just to give me this book because it's been such a... talisman for my life since then it's women who run with the wolves and he basically was like oh have you read this book and then ghosted and I was like are you real did you ever exist or did you just come to bring me this book and (laughs) I really started digging into a lot of the mythology of that book and it resonated on such a primal level and then about that same time my best friend for my birthday had given me this wolf Pad ring. I don't have it on right now because my hands are very dry out here. And it was about the time that Instagram was starting, so it was like, "What's my handle going to be? Who am I?" And it just kind of came to me, and then from that came up uh, the wolves. I brought on a business partner with that a couple years ago, and we shut it down last year. I just started feeling like it didn't excite me, it didn't bring me joy, and I felt like I was resenting having to show up for the work and just with everything that I had going on, it kind of became like the last priority. But I will say I've recently started the relaunch of it. So it should be coming back soon because I miss that outlet. I miss having space to write and have more long form content. Yeah, so it's coming back. The wolf shall howl still. <laughs> oh, yeah, I my, love that's that. My... The wolf
0: shall <laughs> howl again. That's actually like, Honestly, from a research perspective, a really good way to work through anger or anxiety is just through like sound. And I bet a howl <laughs> is just so good. Like, I might have to try oh, that it feels
1: for really good. sure.
0: Five years from now, what is just a normal Tuesday look like for Lulu? If it could go the oh. way in which you would want it to
1: go. Well, first of all, she's going to go out to a restaurant and have a drink with me. (laughs) That would be really nice. I think in five years, I would love to have more of a full time presence in Joshua Tree and come into L.A. when we need to work and show up for whatever acting jobs I have. I would like to have another kid. I would like to design and build a house out here and have my full-time acting job going and rebuild the site and continue to just create and tell stories. And keep howling. Just keep howling, babe.
0: Just keep howling. What's looking up? What's on the horizon that maybe you would want people to know about? What's coming up? What's looking up?
1: What is looking up? Well, I'm re-watching The Wolves. So if I just keep saying it out loud, it's going to be forced to happen. (laughs) Definitely. Accountability is real. I'm working on my own podcasts as well, which I'm very excited for this form of storytelling and getting at the outside in, up and ready for renters out here in Joshua Tree.
0: I love that name, the outside in, and it's in like spelled like an in, right? I-N-N. Like an in, yeah. My husband
1: actually came up with that. We had a whole like name picking thing with my parents uh, last summer and that one really stuck because it's such a small space, but it's really about how you take down the barriers between the indoor and outdoors and live more fluidly between the two.
0: Does the Outside In have its own Instagram? Absolutely. It's the underscore outside underscore in. Cool. Well, we cannot wait to see that. I want to stay there.
1: I want so you to stay i putting there. it out want there. For you.
0: <laughs> That's going to be in my future, random Tuesdays. I'm staying at the Outside In. I cannot wait for people to get to stay
1: here. It's really special.
0: As always, we end every single Looking Up podcast episode by pulling a Things Are Looking Up optimism card from the deck. And if you were with me, we would be able to have you pull the card. But since we are doing this remotely and at safe distances apart, I'm going to pull a random card for you. Mm -hmm. This is your card. I feel like they should be in Joshua Tree. Like they just said, I I feel like
1: that is, very much a me card right there.
0: (laughs) I picked it for you. Okay. Here's your prompt for today. Give a positive shout out to someone right now. Call, text, email, write a letter or express in person your appreciation or gratitude towards someone you are thankful for. Silent gratitude is great, but loud gratitude is even better. This is your homework because this podcast comes with homework. It would be awesome if you want to share. I know. Whoa. And you've already committed to it. So there's nothing you can do. Surprise. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) If you want to share who you're going to positively shout out to, that would be awesome. Who did you think of when I read this card?
1: Immediately, because it's just been so in my head today, I would like to shout out, and I want to make sure that I'm saying her name and her profile correctly. Yes. Rachel Cargill i probably butchering her last name. She does a lot of work on her Instagram and in her life around anti-racist work. So today that feels like very prevalent in my mind and it's deep work and it is uncomfortable and she puts herself out there all the time and it's not her job to do for us, but I'm really grateful for her providing tools for us to confront all of this work we have ahead of us around our anti-racism.
0: So true and such important work. And I think that's awesome that that's who you thought of. And I would inspire you and urge you right now, when we get off of this podcast, to go ahead and carry out this prompt and do it. Reach out to her, whether it's on Instagram or an email, and let her know that you appreciate her and her work and that you are thankful and inspired by it. I will appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time chatting with you. Learned so much and I'm truly inspired.
1: Thanks, Lulu. Thank you, love. Thank you for having me. See you. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Day" by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.